0: Hello. <laughs> um, I, I grew up in Madagascar, and Alyssa grew up here in Santa Barbara, so we had very similar childhoods, as you can imagine. But one of the things that uh, I, I just want to share a story to give you an idea of what it was like, as I was a child. Some of you th- might think that could be a little scary, but I hope you guys, anybody, okay, everybody okay with snakes in the room? As a kid, I used to go be the one that they would ask to go and uh, catch the snakes in the, in the chicken cages to pre- prevent them from eating the chickens. And so I was only about, about 10 years old, and I get this call real quick, Jamie, there's a snake in the chicken coop. So I went running out into the village, and I crawled into this cage, and I pulled out this snake. It was only about six feet long, this big around, and it wrapped around my arms, and I walked home. And I came into the living room and I was like, okay, what should I do with this snake? And I looked around, i like, they like dark places. So I picked up the couch cushions and slid the snake in. And I forgot all about the snake. Three days later, I woke up, I was like, I wonder where that snake is. So I went into the living room and we had visitors. And the, there was a missionary guy who was voluntarily sleeping on the couch. And his head is on the cushion where the snake was put underneath. So I went up to him and said, excuse me, sir. And he's like, yeah, what? I'm like, I got to check something. And I picked up the couch cushions and there it was curled up right where I had put it. I learned it was the best place to keep a snake because it didn't go anywhere. It stayed right there. We'd sat on it. We'd talk, but it didn't move at all. That was me growing up. I did stuff like that all the time. And I won't tell any more stories because we're going to run out of time. But... I loved growing up in Madagascar. I loved the people, I loved the relationships that I had, and it was such a unique and, and, and experience and I knew and I really felt God was doing it for a reason. And since Alyssa and I have been back in Madagascar for the last 13 years, we have fallen in love with the Malagasy even deeper, and we have grown deeper and deeper relationships as we've worked with them in the reforestation work, in the, in the maternity center, and we've started walking deeper and deeper in life with the Malagasy. And there's one woman named Ruth and she is the director, uh, the national director of the maternity center. And she's a, we've known her since she was little, had no idea that we were actually gonna be working together when we were adults. Even Alyssa met her when she was young, but she wanted to become a midwife but had no funds to do that and couldn't go to school for that. But a missionary asked her, what would you like to do? I'd like to be a midwife. And he said, I feel like I'm supposed to pay for your education. And so she went to school, and after she graduated, we met her, and we asked her, we interviewed her and asked her if she wanted to partner with us in the maternity center before any of it had started. And she said yes. And how God had prepared her for our meeting so that we could partner with her, and God had brought us together. But she is a truth teller. And there's very few of those in the world, let alone in Madagascar, who's a true truth teller, seeker. She really has a very deep relationship with Jesus, but she wants to stand for the truth. And so she came up to us once because she's one who will tell us when we're off and we're not doing something right in the culture. And she says, you guys are still looking at the Malagasy culture with rose-colored glasses. She says, you don't see what's really going on. And I was like, really? What? So we thought, we talked, and we started asking, asking around. And we asked this question. What is one word to describe your culture we asked the malagasy's and they would wrestle with it it's not easy they'd say can we have a couple words no just one and they all come to one word fiavanana which is one love peace unity very beautiful and uh, but as we started digging deeper into that and asking what are the pillars in the culture that are holding up this peace this one love this fiavanana and every one of almost all of them came with the same four pillars lies deceit hypocrisy and jealousy so if you think about it that's a culture where harmony is the most important thing and yet the root the pillars holding up this umbrella of harmony are lies deceit hypocrisy and jealousy so what does that look like well to put it in plain terms, so if, if, if anybody who breaks that harmony is the greatest sinner, so if my neighbor abuses my daughter and then I expose him, I'm the greater sinner because I didn't just push it under the carpet. I exposed it and broke that harmony and became the curse. And so here's a story about two fishermen. Travis, you're a fisherman, I'm a fisherman. We got our outrigger canoes, we're on the coast of Madagascar going out fishing. And you're really good I'm really bad. And I've seen this happen. You go out fishing, Travis, you catch a ton. I come back, I got nothing. I'm like, Travis, I have no food for my family. I didn't catch anything. You're like, hey, here you go. Take what you need. So I take my fish and I'm going to feed my family. And what am I thinking? I hate that guy. Why does Travis get all the fish? This is horrible. I hate him, I hate him. So much so that in the nighttime, I go out and I punch a hole in Travis's canoe. And then I go back, yes, I got him. I wake up in the morning, I go out, and there's Travis. <took, took, 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 working away, putting tar in his canoe, trying to fix the hole. I'm like, Travis, what happened? He knows that I did it, but he says, there's a, I woke up with a hole in my canoe. And I'm like, dude, that's horrible. So I'm heading out fishing. He shakes my hand, knowing I did it, said, good luck. I go out fishing. Where's Travis's rocks? Where did he find all those fish? I'm trying to catch him. I'm trying to catch the fish. And I, find, I get a couple. I come home. Travis comes up to me. Hey, dude, Jamie. I have no food for my family. I'm like, here, take what you need. So you take take the food, you go feed your family, and I walk away. Yes, his canoe is not fixed. Three days later, his canoe gets fixed. I wake up, I see him, and I'm angry. Oh, my goodness, he's going to get all the fish today. Sure enough, he goes out fishing, he gets a ton, I catch none. I come back, Travis, I need food for my family. He knows I'm the one who punched the hole in his canoe, and yet if he were to expose me, he'd be the greatest sinner. Here, Jamie, take what you need. And I tell that to the Malagasy, and they're like, that's Malagasy culture. In appearance, everybody looking, what do they see? A community that cares for each other. But what's really happening? There's lies, deceit, hypocrisy, and jealousy riddled in the foundation of it. How can a society grow? How can society survive? It's like the US, if you think back, was founded on biblical principles. We would agree to that. It might have eroded over time, but everybody knows that lying is wrong. In Madagascar, it is not built on that. The foundation of the Malagasy culture is built on seeking spiritual guidance from ancestor or demonic spirits through a seance of drunkenness and seeking out counsel of how to live everyday life. And so it's become a culture that's mastered the art of deceit and created the image of harmony that's the most important to protect, which allows evil and empowers evil to reign. And that's Malagasy culture. But you can live there, I did not see that, and I was born there until just recently. Most missionaries never even tap into that. And whoever starts to open up, expose what's underneath that umbrella, it's like opening up Pandora's box of evil attack. And we've experienced so many things that you guys have watched and read about, and prayed us through. And so, that is Malagasy culture. Who are the most shunned in that kind of society? Who would you think? The truth tellers. Who's Ruth? She's a truth teller. And she's come up to us and said, Jamie, Alyssa, I'm tired of telling the truth, because I'm always the bad guy. We told her, Ruth, you can't stop because you're on the forefront of God's army penetrating into the darkness. And if you give up, who's gonna stand? And we support you. And she has continued to stand for truth. In a society that's so broken, it is the only country in the world where killing your twins if they are taboo has no legal ramifications. When I say taboo, it's a fadi. It's not like I walked under a a ladder or a broken mirror, that's... A Fadi in Madagascar is so strong, it's life or death. So if my child, if I go to the ancestral spirit and I'm counseled that my son is taboo chicken, we've seen this happen where that's the sickest child in the house. It's better to see my child die of starvation than to feed him a chicken and break the harmony with the ancestors and become the curse to the community. And that's the lie that allows death to come right in. And so there is a tribe called the Antambawoka, and they are taboo twins. So the twins are put in front of the cattle, or they are thrown into the river. And they honestly believe they are not human. It's the only place in the world that this is still allowed at that level. Well, one day... Well, Ruth and yonder, they're working at the maternity. They have not been able to have children. And we were praying with them. And one day while we were here in the States at Disneyland, we'd get a call and Ruth's like, uh, they've just rescued some babies out in the Antambooka villages and they're asking if we want them. We're like, go. So they made the 20 hour drive across the country while these newborns are coming up the Pangalani Canal in a small little canoe for nine days with no mama's milk, with with a woman who's trying to rescue them and stay in front of the pursuit to to kill these babies. So Ruth gets there and, and yonder get there, the babies come and they meet their children. But their children are almost dead. They get them to the hospital, they've revived and they have been caring for those children at the maternity center for the last how many years? Four years. But anybody in Madagascar knows if you raise cursed children, you are cursed. And you are cursed in the community. And yet, where does the truth live in all that? We know that's a lie, but in Madagascar, they believe that is the truth. And so, as they've been raising these kids, they are sick all the time. And we've been praying against the curses that are being put on these children. And Ruth, one day, we got a call that she was sick with a fever, and we, we didn't know what was going on, but it's, there's another fever. By the afternoon, we get a call. She was unconscious and in the hospital. I like, what is going on? The next day, she's back home and fine, and we asked her, what happened? She goes, well, I was sick and in and that fever, but then I felt like I was being attacked, and they were coming from all around, and then I was in a peaceful place, and there was a man standing there and he was just smiling. And I know it was Jesus. And I said, "Jesus." And she said, I said, "Jesus, I'm ready to go and be with you in paradise. I'm ready." But my children need me. No one else can love will love them like I do. And he looked at her and said, "You can go back. Love your kids. Take care of your kids." And that's when she came to and here's Ruth, a truth- teller who's in the adversity of all these principalities of darkness, because she is raising these twins that are cursed, and she's starting and, and if, if these start to realize that they're not, it breaks down these pow- the powers of history, generations. And where's Jesus walking right beside her, just smiling, bringing peace in the midst of this huge battle. And we're still praying for them, and she is raising those kids. But truth-tellers are hard to find. We can only think of a few that are truly holding on to the truth. Most malagasy's live like that snake in that couch, where they're hiding in the shadows of the culture, never wanting to stand up for truth, for fear of disrupting that image of harmony. Their identity is lost in the expectations of their culture and prevents them from living in the truth. But holding on to the lie that the image of harmony is enough, it's not. Hence, because the truth is hidden at all costs, sin and evil are free to reign without contest. Social justice does not exist. Accountability is shamed and evildoers doers do as they please, which leads to an entire culture mastered by sin. The sin that is the cultural pillars of their society. And this makes it very difficult for the Malagasy to truly find their identity in Christ, where they could find real peace and harmony. This is just Madagascar though. There's many cultures all over the world. And all through history, this lie, can be seen as the battle to sin goes back all the way to Genesis. I think you guys have probably read that book. If we go back and we read, if we put the scriptures up, we're going to just read. It's right after Adam and Eve have had their first child, Cain, and we're going to pick it up in verse 2. So this is Genesis chapter 4, verse 2. It says, later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When he grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. And Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs of his flock. And the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. So God comes and says, why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain? Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. But one day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where's your brother where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. I don't know. Who am I? Am I his, my brother's guardian? What, do you, what? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be homeless. Wander A homeless wanderer of the earth. God warned Cain to do what was right because sin was crouching right there waiting, wanting to pounce, wanting to take over, wanting to control. And God says, you must master it. Don't let it take over. But what happened? Cain allowed the pillars of sin to root deep into his heart and hatred grew. Hatred grew to the point where he no no longer saw his brother as his brother, but someone to be against. And he took his brother out into the wilderness and killed him. In that moment, Cain lost his identity. He was no longer his brother's keeper, but his brother's killer. The land that was his identity was cursed because he was not doing what was right and following God. And he became a wanderer of the earth. Doesn't that sound like the Malagasy culture? Who are wandering through life lost because they've allowed sin to come in and penetrate and be the pillars of their society. Sin is crouching at the door in all of our hearts and all through history. Evil seeks to root itself deep into the heart of a culture masking itself so it stays hidden, but very active. It just looks different over time and around the world, but these cultural pillars we are so used to can be the trap that prevent us from ever living free in the truth. Jesus says it very clearly in John 8, 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my work, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So this struggle continues to this day throughout the world and in each of our lives. So I ask you guys, we must question ourselves, what is one word to describe The culture in this country, in this city, in your family, is the appearance of what we want the world to see hiding the truth of sinful pillars in us and around us? Are we masking the sinful truth of ourselves with the appearance of harmony and love like Cain and most of the Malagasy have done? Or are we true truth-seekers, listening to God and holding to the hope and promises found only in Jesus, like Ruth and Abel? We must ask ourselves, are the pillars of our life anchored into the deceiving lies of the world? Or are they pillars of truth where peace and harmony can truly be found? Anchored into Jesus, our Savior, where we find a restored identity as children of God. What does that mean? To be a child of God, it means you are valued. You are worthy to be loved. You are cherished by your creator. You're never too lost to be saved. Jesus knew your name as he died on the cross for you. So that you may have eternal life with him. He is our pillar of truth. And through him, our true identities can be found. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us so much. and that Despite the fact that we so often root ourselves into things that are not pleasing to you, you still love us. You still died for us. And you want, to lead us on life and the truth and the truth that sets us free. We're so grateful for you. And we love you so much in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.